I'd like you to turn in the scriptures with me to the First Peter chapter one, verses three to nine. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's my joy to welcome the Reverend Andy Savile to come and share the pulpit with us at this time. And as he comes up, shall we just pray? Our Father, we thank you for our pastor this morning. We thank you for the words that he has prepared And we pray that you would speak to our hearts through him, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Andy. Well, good morning. It's uh, great to be here uh, again, and um, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, You may be aware this is part of uh, a pulpit swap, where the pastors of Staines and Ashford and Laleham, we've done it uh, each January now, for a number of years, uh, swap pulpits and preach in each other's churches. And uh, our fellowship with you at Staines Congregational is really precious to us in Laleham. Uh, thank you so much for sharing with us, sharing in evangelism. We've got Passion for Life coming up uh, again soon next month. For sharing your youth and children's work with us, uh, the lounge and sports reach and the youth weekend away, amongst other things. I'm really blessed to meet regularly with uh, your pastor Nick and uh, Keith Wilson uh, as well for, for prayer each month. So thank you for all you share with us. It's a great encouragement to us. Uh, if you were here last week, you'll also be aware that uh, we're doing a short sermon series looking at the benefits of the gospel. What, what's the good news? What are the advantages of Christianity? We're looking at those advantages in the past And in the present, and from me you're going to get uh, from this passage in 1 Peter, what are the the benefits in the future? Well, in a few moments we're going to be looking in a little more detail at that passage on page 1217. You might like to turn to it in uh, one of the church Bibles in front of you, 1217. And as we come to God's word, I'm going to pray. Help us, O God, to hear your word with attention and understanding. And so write its message on our hearts, that its power may be manifest in our lives, for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Well, would you say that it can be tough being a Christian in 21st century Britain? Now, of course, it can be very tough being a Christian in many parts, say, of the Middle East and parts of Asia and Africa. And while we probably don't face threats to our lives and livelihood, I think a lot of Christians will say it is pretty tough being a Christian in Britain in 2020. So there can be sort of low-level mockery or hostility, a pressure to conform and compromise. And I think a lot of us have a sense that this seems to be on a trajectory where it, it seems likely to increase, particularly over issues related to sexuality. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you probably already experienced something of that. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, it may be one of the things that is holding you back. It might be that you're reasonably convinced of the truth of Christianity, but you're not sure you're ready for the consequences. And that is an issue that the recipients of this letter in the Bible were facing. It's written by Peter, the follower of Jesus. It was written to Christians in churches around modern-day Turkey, And if you have a look at verse 6, the little number 6 there, uh, he says, Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, in those congregations, there was a range of experience of suffering and hardship, as I guess there is here this morning. So Peter says they may have had to suffer. So it's not the experience of everyone who was in church that morning, not the experience all of the time. But if it's not our experience at the present, this is still teaching that we need to take on board because it may well be coming in the future. And then he says, may have had to suffer all kinds of trials. Literally, the phrase means multicoloured. So it includes the risk for them of physical persecution But as we read through the letter, it's interesting the emphasis is on verbal attacks, which may be more of our experience. So, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Chapter 3, verse 16, keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Chapter 4, verse 4, they think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. Well, I guess that's closer to the experience of many of us in the office or the club, in the playground or the internet forum rather than imprisonment or martyrdom. And I think in my lifetime, there's been quite a significant shift in attitudes towards Christianity and Christians. So perhaps 30 or 40 years ago, Christians and Christianity was broadly seen as a force for good in our society. People may not share our beliefs or come to church, but broadly they thought we were, we were a good thing. I think just in the last decade or two, Christian views have now seemed to as divisive 
and harmful. And increasingly, we are seen, as they were in Peter's day, as a force for bad. Now, you might have thought all of this would make, for, make them pretty discouraged and depressed. But not a bit of it. Uh, have a look back at verse 6 in our passage. He says that they, do you notice, greatly rejoice. Verse 8, they are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Isn't that amazing? Now, this clearly isn't some sort of uh, uh, easy or automatic reaction that they've got. It's not that they're all natural, sort of glass-half-full, optimistic kind of people. It's the reason that Peter says he's written this letter. Uh, At the end, chapter 5, verse 12, he says, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you, stand fast. Why does he say that? Well, presumably it's because quite often they feel discouraged and feel like giving up and putting their head back down below the parapet. And Peter has written this letter to encourage us, to keep us going, and so that we can experience joy. How might it be that we can develop joy in our lives, even in the face of hardship and persecution? Joy that will survive the tough times that life throws at us. Well, I've got two headings that I want to look at briefly this morning. A certain future verses 3 to 5, and a confident present. So first, a certain future, verses 3 to 5. The key to living with joy in the present is not having a nice life now. That's what the world tells us. If our life was just a bit more sorted, we had a nicer life, we would be more joyful. Here's what Peter says. He says the key is having a fantastic future to look forward to. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says every Christian has a fantastic future. Well, what does he tell us about it? What have we got to look forward to? And the clue, I think, is at the end of verse 3. It is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is a resurrection-shaped hope. And the resurrection of Jesus' body at the first Easter is the start of what God will one day do to us and the whole creation. A world with no suffering or death or ageing or frustration. A creation filled with unending joy and satisfaction and life. In his second letter, Peter puts it like this. 2 Peter 3... We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. This glorious transformation of everything good in creation for all of God's people. And then back in verse 4 of our passage, Peter calls it an inheritance. I think it's a really 
helpful word to understand the shape of the Christian life. Imagine for a moment that uh, uh, this afternoon a long-lost uncle contacts you. They've been doing a bit of research, and uh, unbeknownst to you, you are their last surviving relative. And they want to leave you their entire fortune of £20 million. And to cap it all, they're getting on and their health is not good. How might that news change your perspective on Monday morning? How might it give you joy even when Monday morning looked a bit grim and quite tough? Would you worry so much about things in the present if you knew for certain you were going to inherit millions? How do you feel differently about your job, your bank balance, your retirement, if you knew that at some point in the future all your financial worries are going to be removed? A fantastic future. But also, do you notice it's a secure future? Uh, depending on our age, it might be that we might hope to inherit something from our parents. But of course, there are no guarantees. There could be care home costs and so on. Could, uh, could eat all of that up. Even if we were to uh, inherit, uh, we may remember back 10 years or so, the financial crisis taught us that even money in the bank isn't 100% secure. But the Christian's inheritance, do you see verse 4, our inheritance from God is an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Nothing can touch it or reduce it. And why can we be so certain about it? Well, that's at the end of verse 4 and verse 5. It's kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So this inheritance uh, for each, uh, each believer, it's personally guaranteed by God's power. And uh, Peter says he does two things. He keeps it in heaven and he shields us. Uh, the image of, is of uh, defences securing a town. So it's as though we've got a multi-million pound nest egg that we're going to inherit one day and it's been kept in the vaults of the Bank of England. And in the meantime, we're also given round-the-clock personal bodyguards to make sure that no harm can come to us before then. Do you see, God wants us to be really confident of our inheritance. I think actually there's there's quite a good test here. Um, If I were to ask you, are you sure, you might say you're going to heaven, I think the picture is actually of enjoying Uh, the new earth, but if I said, are you sure you're going to heaven, what would you say? Uh, Just occasionally, I do have that kind of conversation with people, and I reckon the most common answer is something like this. Well, I hope so. Not sure, hope so. Touch wood. (laughs) Well, that level of confidence is not going to produce very much joy in tough times. God wants his children to be able to say a confident, yes, absolutely, I'm sure. 
Imagine uh, you said uh, to your child, or perhaps a child that you know, uh, I'm going to give you, I don't know what the gift might I'm going to give you a bike for Christmas, or whatever it is they really want, a play, PlayStation or something. I'm going to give you a bike for Christmas. Then you overheard them talking to a friend. What are you going to get for Christmas? Oh, I don't know. My mum and dad promised me a bike, but I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm really going to get one. How would you feel if you heard your child expressing doubt and uncertainty like that? I guess we, we'd feel really quite sad, even upset, that they couldn't trust us enough that they were really going to get it because we'd promised it to them. And sometimes I think people think, uh, isn't it a bit presumptuous, even a bit arrogant, to say, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm going to get this inheritance. But have a look in uh, verse 3 of our passage. I think it's the antidote or the answer to that question. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us. So this, this inheritance... It's not something we, can des- we deserve. It's not something we earn. In fact, it's undeserved. It's mercy. In fact, it's so far beyond anything we do deserve. It's great mercy. It's given on the basis not of what we've done, but what Jesus has done for us. So, if our child replied to that question about a Christmas present, I'm getting a bike, we wouldn't think... They're a bit arrogant, aren't they? We think, isn't it great that they trust us, they can enjoy the anticipation of getting something they really want. Well, God wants us to be confident. A secure future, it's also a near future. See how Peter puts it in verse 6. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. As any of us who've experienced this, tough times, even persecution, is really painful at the time. But Peter's asking us to step back, and from the perspective of eternity, they are only for a little while. Again, of course, that's not how it kind of feels at the time where our entire horizon sort of gets consumed by the problem or the concern that we're facing, or perhaps someone that we care for. But Peter invites us to look over the horizon and remember that the the dawn is drawing near. Well, if we know our future is fantastic, our future is secure, and that we don't have to wait too long, That is news that can start to transform our present. We can start to live more radically and more boldly, freed from the shackles of fear about what people might think or say about us or do to us. And I reckon if I uh, took that microphone and uh, went round the congregation here this morning especially those of you that have been Christians for a good while, could testify to something of that. The way that a knowledge of that future hope 
has enabled you to live more boldly for Jesus Christ. There's much more we need to do, but it's already made an impact on our lives. But my second heading, a confident present, verses 6 to 9, and a little more briefly on this. Well, all of this so far sounds, uh, sounds wonderful, I hope, but inevitably, when we experience hardship and persecution, there is a question we almost all of us ask, and that is the question, why? Why is God then allowing me to suffer in the present? And in verse 7, Peter gives us three helpful answers to that question. Now, this is not everything the Bible says about suffering, but what it says here is one of the most helpful short summaries I think the Bible gives us. Verse 7. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter says that the tough times in the present, firstly, they can refine our faith. Peter uses this analogy of gold being refined by fire, the heat taking away the impurities to leave something that is purer and better. So in tough times, it's very often that the secondary things, the trivial things, are gradually stripped away and we are left focused on what is really important. Now, it may seem a very slow and painful process at times, but the gradual results are described there in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls a growing love for Jesus, a growing joy about being saved. To change the analogy, faith is like a muscle. And hardship and persecution are like God's gym for strengthening our faith. So Peter says uh, in verse 7 that hard times refine our faith. He also says they prove our faith. These have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. The trials and uh, troubles we accept because we're a Christian prove our faith is genuine. Prove it to ourselves and also to other people. It's at the point that following Jesus really costs us something that we're showing that we're a real follower when we have to make that costly decision to go Jesus' way rather than the world's way, it shows what our priorities are. It shows where our heart is. In fact, it's when we choose the path that leads to loss or hardship or persecution because of our Christian faith that the reality of our trust in Jesus is shown to be authentic to a watching world. I think that's why the church generally grows fastest when it's being persecuted. 
we have a monthly uh, church prayer meeting. And uh, last month we were learning a little about the church in China and the extraordinary growth in my lifetime. It's hard to get accurate figures, perhaps 150 million Christians. And this despite uh, increasing crackdown from the authorities. So it's becoming increasingly the case that uh, if you are known to be a Christian, your children may lose a place at school or be denied the chance to go to university. If you're known to be a Christian, you might lose your employment or be denied promotion. And if you're retired, your pension might be reduced or stopped. All for being a Christian. And yet the church is growing. I think it's why our faith grows strongest when we go through tough times. Again, I reckon if I went round, many of you could testify to that. may not feel like it at the time, but as we look back, we've seen that that's what God is doing. And there is a third reason I think Peter gives us here. It increases our reward. Third reason for rejoicing even in the tough times. A fantastic reward. Verse 7 again, these have come so that your faith may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now there's a debate about whether the glory goes to Jesus in this verse or to us when he returns. Now I think the two are inevitably linked. Any glory we receive is simply a sharing of Christ's glory. But I think there is an element here of the reward we will receive because of what Peter says in chapter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, he's referring to Jesus, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. He uses that word again. He's reminding us we will never lose out in the Christian life. So, if we are to live radical, joyful Christian lives, yes, we need to be ready for suffering, hardships and persecutions as a result of being a follower of Jesus Christ. But we don't need to be afraid. We can actually, Peter says, be joyful because in the present, God will be using those tough times for good and in the future, he has a fantastic inheritance waiting for us, which will make everything worthwhile. I'd like to finish by reading from a letter written by a German priest called Hermann Lang, who was executed under the Nazis aged 32 for preaching against the Nazi regime. Now, I guess he could have moderated his commitment to Jesus Christ and had his life spared, but he knew something of the life-changing truth of our passage. Here's what he wrote to his parents from his cell in a prison in Hamburg the night before his execution. When this letter comes to your hand, I shall no longer be among the living. The thing that has occupied my thoughts constantly for many months, never leaving them free, is now about to happen. 
If you ask me what state I am in, I can only answer I am first in a joyous mood. And second, filled with great anticipation. As regards the first feeling of joy, today means the end of all suffering and all earthly sorrow for me. For God will wipe away every tear from my eye. As to the second feeling of anticipation, this day brings the greatest hour of my life. Everything that till now I have done, struggled for and accomplished has at bottom been directed to this one goal, whose barrier I will penetrate today. For me, believing will become seeing. Hope will become possession. And I shall forever share in him who is love. Should I not be filled with anticipation? What's it all going to be like? The things that up till now I've been permitted to preach... I shall now see. There'll be no more secrets, nor tormenting puzzles. Today is the great day on which I return to the home of my father. How could I fail to be excited and full of anticipation? And I love the way he finishes his letter. He signs it off. Your happy Herman. (laughs) Well, let's pray as we sit. Heavenly Father, you know... The situation of each one of us uh, here, you know the challenges and difficulties we face if we're Christians. Some may be facing very hard and sharp challenges and choices because of their Christian faith. Others of us may have been keeping our Christian faith under wraps because we've been fearful of the choices and challenges we may face. Heavenly Father, as we have heard Peter's wonderful words to us of this glorious future that is certain for us, that can never perish, spoil or fade, that is kept and guarded for us, that is absolutely guaranteed, Would you help us as individuals? And I pray for my brothers and sisters here as the church family, stay as congregational. Would you give them a fresh joy in living for you in the presence and a boldness to act and live and speak for you? And Heavenly Father, for any here who have not yet made that step of decision, perhaps held back for fear of what others might say or think of them. As we've heard your extraordinary offer of great mercy, something that is far beyond anything we could earn or deserve, would you please help them make that commitment to Jesus because we will never lose out. It will always be worth it, more than worth it because of your great mercy, because of that glorious inheritance. So Heavenly Father, however heavy our hearts may have been coming in, may have been coming in this morning, however challenging the situation we go out to may seem. 
please help us glimpse over the horizon at what you have waiting for us. And may that give us a confidence, a boldness and a joy as we step out into a new week living for you. We ask it for your glory's sake. Amen.